Hello and welcome back to Chronicle, the history of Newcastle United. I'm Matt Ketchell, the North East Football App and Engagement Editor for Chronicle Live, and we've reached episode 11 of our walk through the history of Newcastle United. Last week we chronicled the 1931-32 season when Newcastle won yet more silverware, the FA Cup again. Today, for episode 11, things take a bit of a downward turn as we cover Newcastle United's first ever relegation. To discuss this traumatic period, Paul Joannou, Newcastle United's official club historian, is with me. So, Paul, last week we focused on the 1931-32 season, the famous over-the-line FA Cup final win happened at the end of that campaign, and we touched on the following season too, 32-33, which was pretty decent um, and featured some interesting fixtures, didn't it? Uh, it did. Uh, that, that season after the FA Cup victory, uh, manager Andy Cunningham's plans were going well. Newcastle had another excellent season, uh, finishing in fifth place, and the challenge at the top with Aston Villa, Arsenal and Sheffield Wednesday. But really, uh, uh, they fell fell away uh, by the end of the season. The late season dip uh, saw them slip up and uh, you know finished in fifth place, but that was still pretty good. And, and that campaign saw three exhibition fixtures uh, take place uh, worthy of note. Um, the FA Charity Shield, forerunner of the present-day Community Shield, uh, was staged at St James's Park as the Cup winners, Newcastle, took on the league champions Everton. Now, Newcastle suffered at the feet of the great Dixie Dean at St James's Park. Uh, he netted four goals in a, in a 5-3 Everton win. While uh, there was also a double meeting with uh, Rangers, it was England's Cup winners versus Scotland's Cup winners. And United won 5-0 on Tyneside and uh, lost 4-1 at Ibrox. And um, tell us about some of the um, the key figures of, in the team at this stage. There was a um, pretty decent side, wasn't there? Well, there was. Uh, you know, we had you know, most of the FA Cup players were, were still there and, you know, the the youngsters, Jimmy Richardson and Harry McMenemy, were, were really starting to uh, develop as, as top players. And Sammy Weaver uh, was uh, the, the main focus for the side, uh, developed into an England player and uh, was really the driving force. Mm. And you mentioned that there was a, a dip in form towards the end of 32-33, but presumably no one predicted where the club would be at the end of the 1933-34 season. Not at all, no. Uh, that 1933-34 season uh, was was eventful. Um, it, it appeared at first that Boss Cunningham had built a decent side, but everything fell apart uh, for the famous Scottish international uh, or, or former famous Scottish international. Uh, and Newcastle United uh, went through an awful uh, patch. Um, they were they went from FA Cup winners and title challenges uh, to relegation in a disastrous season. The side included nine full international players and two more on the way, yet nothing went right for the Magpies in the second half of that uh, season. And there was two really key reasons. Uh, injury to the rising star playmaker Harry McMenemy was was one, one uh, point. He was out for almost six months. And then Sammy Weaver, the club's talisman, was also sidelined and, and they made a big difference uh, not being in the side. Newcastle were mid-table as 1934 opened um, and had just defeated Everton 7-3 and then Liverpool 9-2 in the festive, over the festive period. Um, and that, that was quite amazing over mm. the space of, I think it was about uh, a week to, to 10 days, that they created two enormous results against two top opponents, uh, both on 
both against Merseyside opponents, of course. But amazingly, after that, they collapsed um, from February. Uh, they won only one match in 14, uh, which was a dreadful run. And they ended up having to win on the very last day of the season to stave, uh, stave away from relegation. But they lost to Stoke and were relegated for the very first time. Dear me, underperforming international stars and injuries. Something, Something's never changed, do they, at Newcastle? A reminder, Newcastle had been a top-flight team for some 36 years. They lifted the biggest prize in football just two years before this. And, Paul, this really was a catalyst for a decade of suffering, wasn't it? Yeah, the, the club entered a, a, a period probably the worst in the club's history between 1934 and 1938-39. The club didn't like second division football, tier two football as it was then um, at all. Cunningham stayed on as manager to start with, as, as did star man Sammy Weaver, which was a great uh, bonus to keep him in the side. And the club's board brought in an ex-England uh, centre-back, a, a chap called Tony Leach, who was uh, capped when with Sheffield Wednesday, and also a new centre-forward called Jack Smith, who uh, became a very good uh, number nine, even though the shirt hadn't quite arrived, but was coming along uh, very shortly. Mm -hmm. uh, Newcastle were, in fact, bottom of the second tier during the very early weeks of the new season and uh, took time to adjust playing the likes of Port Vale, Oldham and Plymouth um, instead of Arsenal and uh, uh, Liverpool and uh, the likes of uh, those clubs. Thankfully, they did recover, but finished well short of promotion, and it wasn't a, a shock when Andy Cunningham resigned at the end of the 1934-35 season, and a new boss arrived, uh, a, a guy called Tom Mather, uh, manager of Stoke City. Now, he'd done well with Stoke, getting them up, in the very uh, top level of the second division and promotion. But they were to soon, he and Newcastle would soon lose Weaver. And that wasn't a surprise. He went to Chelsea for a big fee back into the top level. Um, and then worse was to follow uh, a couple of seasons later when Jack Smith, who had netted 73 goals in three seasons for United, uh, he headed out too. He joined Manchester United, who were in the same division as Newcastle, but were to be promoted that particular season. Yeah, no so they lost two big names, and and that was uh, you know uh, uh, another blow to the club at that time. Yeah, that's fair enough, really, isn't it? If you get stuck in Division Two, you're going to lose your big players. Are we able to put our finger on any reasons behind such a dramatic and devastating decade that followed? Well, I don't think there's one one particular reason. Uh, there were lots of changes. The club was just coming to terms with, with having a manager. And Andy Cunningham was the very first manager. It, it started well for Cunningham, winning the FA Cup, of course, and doing well in the top level for a couple of seasons. But uh, they just couldn't find the right formula uh, for a sustained promotion bid. Tom Mather brought in quite quite a few new players. Uh, uh, the dressing room was continually changing. In fact, your form was such that they almost headed in the other direction rather than being promoted. Uh, they tumbled down uh, the league and the third division north, as it was then, stared them in the face for the first time in the club's history. And uh, you know they escaped by a whisker on goal average in season 1937-38. That was Newcastle's worst ever campaign. Dear me, who, who did the club turn to then in terms of personnel in a bid to try and get themselves out of this mess? Can you tell us about the 1937-38 the relegation battle, which must have been a very stressful one for fans to watch? Yeah, uh, well, Newcastle had brought in a big name, um, like they did um, you know, 
quite a few seasons later when they brought in Kevin Keegan in a, in a sort of similar position. Uh, they brought in England and Arsenal inside forward Ray Bowden as a, as a new star. And he was a very famous uh, Arsenal player uh, during the Gunners' uh, dominance of the top flight uh, during the 1930s. Uh, now, initially, he made a difference, uh, but then a succession of injuries um, rocked the side. You know, Bowden was out for quite a few times uh, in that season. You know, they had six defeats in eight matches near the, the end of the campaign and sent the Magpies into a tense climax to that, that season. Um, they needed Nottingham Forest to get a point to secure their um, second division status, uh, and Forest did that, and United survived just uh, by all of one-tenth of a goal. Yeah, it's amazing to hear that, one-tenth of a goal. Can you just explain that? They obviously operated some sort of goal ratio, goal average system back then, didn't they? Well, for, for the majority of football um, up to, in fact, 1976, goal average was used in England when clubs were level on points in, in league tables. And that, that means that the goals scored was divided uh, were, were divided by the goals conceded. Um, and in 1976, it was changed to, to goal difference, as we know now. Uh, so what happened on that closing sort of weekend of the season, the bottom four clubs you know uh stockport were stockport county were right at the bottom they they were relegated with 31 points but newcastle nottingham forest and barnsley all had 36 points um after the final game and the goal averages barnsley had 0.781 nottingham forest had 0.783 and newcastle united had a little bit better 0.879 so barnsley uh, were relegated and Forest and Newcastle stayed up. And the differences between Newcastle and Forest and Newcastle and Barnsley were 0.096 and 0.098 of a goal, which is a tenth of a goal. And that is how close Newcastle came to dropping into the third division north. Um, yeah. And it's really only happened once uh, we, we were close again once before, and we were close again come 91-92, but not, never that close. Um, and we've never dropped uh, out of uh, the second tier of English football. So it was uh, quite a, an end to that campaign, but uh, Newcastle survived and uh, marched on. Indeed. And what did this period do to attendances, Paul? I imagine gone were the days of 50,000, 60,000 strong crowds through the gates of St James's Park. Well, dropping into the second tier, attendances did fall and there were really very, very low points. The home gates dropped to 3,964 against Norwich City and 3,867 against Nottingham Forest. Now, they were really uh, very low crowds, Mm. uh, but mainly the averages were were much higher than that into the uh, up to 20,000 and the like. Uh, but fans still wanted to watch top football and and whenever the club faced a big side and, and a typical example is uh, they had a big FA Cup meeting against Arsenal as I said before the team of the era and uh, you know and, and they played Preston as well who were a very good side in the FA Cup and uh, over 60,000 turned up at both games um, mm. so you know they could attract crowds without doubt uh, but the fans wanted top quality football rather than um, you know, uh, second grade football. 
And obviously this period didn't last forever. What was the turning point for Newcastle? Well, something really needed to happen at St James's Park. You know, by you know, 1938, the club were, were at a low point and the board of directors uh, had to do something uh, to, to make the club you know, start to climb up again and to get back into the first division. They were desperate for that. Uh, and in the summer of 1938, they made a key decision. Uh, they appointed ex-FA Cup winner and title winner uh, winger Stan Seymour to the board. And, and that was a big surprise because Seymour was a, a bit of a critic of the club uh, through the years after after leaving. Uh, I think it was 1929 when he left the club. But he came back and you know the, the, the club now had a very experienced um, you know, man in the boardroom when the boardrooms at that time and for many a year later um, uh, contained very little men of pure football experience. Very few players became boardroom members at any club in the country. Uh, and Stan Seymour was a rarity. And, and, and that decision uh, in time turned Newcastle United's fortunes round. Now, he brought a vast knowledge and football know-how to the club's management. And for 1938-39, there was a huge improvement uh, helped by two excellent purchases, two more internationals, Harry Clifton, an inside forward, and Ralph Burkett, another forward, joined Ray Bowden. And, and to have three really quality players like that up front uh, made a difference. And crowds returned too, to a degree. Um, you know, 64,000 saw a league clash with leaders Fulham. Um, and everything was looking far better for the Magpies in that season uh, just before um, the war started. Good. Good, good old Stan Seymour. Of course, we spoke about him and his contribution to Newcastle's title-winning forward line in episode 9. And I'm sure there'll be more of Stan later in the series, no doubt. And probably his son as well, Stan Jr., who was later to become involved in the club. And, of course, as we reach 1939, with Newcastle still in Division 2, that was all about to pale into insignificance as football would be placed on hold as World War Two erupted. And um, on our next episode, we'll cover that period in detail, so don't miss that when it comes out on Wednesday. And Paul, let's finish, as we normally do, with some bonus content uh, for viewers on YouTube or on Chronicle Live's website. We have three images here to discuss. This one has formed our backdrop. Tell us who we're looking at here. Well, the three players are uh, um, pictured in Newcastle's change strip, um, white shirts and black shorts. Now, they wore that rather unattractive kit for, for decades um, during the later years of the 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, and even into the 60s. Uh, we've got Roddy McKenzie. The tall guy in the middle is Alec Betton, who is a, a new signing centre-half. Uh, and the lad on the other side with the big mop of hair is the famous Sammy Weaver. Um, McKenzie was a, a, a stalwart. He played in the 1920s, the championship side, and uh, went through... You know, most of the 20s and into the 30s. And, and Weaver, of course, as I've said many a time, was the uh, real driving force of Newcastle United at that period in the in the 1930s. Mm. Amazing shot. It's uh, To describe it as three, la three footballers stood with their arms folded, or two with their arms folded, and Weaver with his arms by his side. They're wearing what looks like white dress shirts, sleeves rolled up, and uh, the shorts, uh, very baggy, could be, could be could be bin bags <laughs> by, yeah. by the look of things. Very creased, incredible little look at the the, the kit or all white away kit. But yeah, sm smashing shot, and that's obviously in an away game. And we have a second image as well today. We've got 
Weaver here demonstrating his long throw just as he's been from Newcastle. This is him at Stamford Bridge demonstrating his specialism to his new Chelsea teammates. Yeah, well, Weaver, as I've mentioned before in, in an earlier episode, was was uh, famous for his long throw. And uh, there he is uh, in his training kit. And, and notice the training kit that always seemed to have these woolly, uh, high-necked jumpers on, which must have been really uncomfortable. But he was uh, a, a great uh, expert at throwing the ball. Uh, and remember, the ball was much, much heavier, leather balls. And he apparently could throw that ball from the touchline into the penalty area on the penalty spot without any trouble whatsoever. So um, goodness knows how many goals came from that. And he's demonstrating that throw to his uh, Chelsea teammates. And the first guy with the slightly receding hair is a fullback called Tommy Law, who uh, played in the uh, Wembley Wizards side for Chelsea. Amazing, yeah. And it's, you can actually see the old dog track around Stamford Bridge. And in right in the distance, you can probably even make out the stalls there, which the dogs would run out of. And uh, this is their, he would have been their star signing, wouldn't he? Big, big money transfer from, from Newcastle, who were struggling in the second tier at the time. Yep, that, that's right. He, he did very well at Stamford Bridge, uh, right up to uh, uh, the Second World War. And, and then after after World War II, was associated with Mansfield, Mansfield Town for, for decades. And we do have one final image here, which is a very interesting one. This is from 1939, 4th of March. And Paul, I'll just describe it. It's, a, it's an aerial shot almost of, of Newcastle players trotting out of a tunnel onto a pitch. Uh, there's actually... Um, hay being spread on the pitch. It might have been a, a frozen pitch that day. This was the 4th of March. And we're, we're a bit undecided as to whether this is at St James's Park or potentially an away fixture, aren't we? Um, well, uh, yes, I'm pr pretty certain it is St James's Park. Uh, <laughs> the 4th of March, 1939, is the date of the caption. And, yeah. and Russell were actually playing away at Bradford that day. However, the caption may actually be slightly out in so much mm. that Newcastle played a home fixture against Tottenham on the 1st of March um, and it could w well be from that game. Now Newcastle did have a, a tunnel which you came upwards and the picture shows the players coming up an incline onto the pitch um, right through the 1920s and uh, or from 1905 right through the 20s there was actually twin tunnels um, the home and away tunnels came from the dressing rooms and uh, onto the pitch. Now, there was quite a big gap between the two tunnels and perhaps we're not getting a picture of the second tunnel. If it is St James's Park, there would at that time be two tunnels uh, and that is throwing me a little bit. There were no um, manager and coaches dugouts at St James's Park until much later into the later years of the 50s. So, um, it does look like St James's Park, uh, but I'm not 100% certain. Yeah, I'll throw it open to, to listeners and, and viewers. Perhaps mm. does anybody know exactly when we um, changed from two tunnels to one tunnel? I have a good idea that that happened round about the summer of 1956 when a lot of work was done on dressing rooms and a new entrance to St James's Park. And it's likely that the tunnelling... Uh, onto the pitch was actually revamped then. So, um, and when you look at Newcastle's programmes right through the 50s and up to about 1960, uh, the, the illustrated images St James's Park on the front cover shows two tunnels right up to 1959. 
and then it stops and goes to one throne. Now that might not be conclusive, but um, who knows? It's a, it's an interesting picture. Um, I haven't managed to look at the Bradford ground to see if I can manage to trace if it is it uh, Park Avenue's ground, mm. but it's it, it does look like St James's Park have got pictures of the players coming out up an incline onto the pitch. Yeah, I'll post this on our website so you can have a look at it. It's a very interesting shot. And also, New St James's Park did at the time have a bird's eye view press box that you mentioned, Paul, and, and it would this is where that photograph could have been taken from because it's literally right above the players, isn't it? Yes, it, 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 it could well be. The, the bird's eye press, press box was constructed when the ground was revamped in 1905, so um, it was uh, right above there on the top of the West, the old West Stand main grandstand and uh you know you would get the the perfect view from that position yeah interesting interesting if if listeners you have any newcastle united observations or, or history questions then do email those to us at the eibw podcast at reachplc.com or you can tweet me as a couple of listeners already have i'm at ketchel on twitter Please subscribe to the Everything is Black and White podcast via whichever podcast platform you use. Follow Chronicle Live's Newcastle United channels on social media. We're at Chronicle NUFC on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram. And keep an eye out for new episodes of Chronicle, the history of Newcastle United. We bring these out every Wednesday. Lastly, stay up to date with Everything Black and White by subscribing to our daily Newcastle United newsletter. It's free. You get a morning news roundup, an evening news roundup, and breaking news as and when it happens, directly emailed to inbox. I'll put the link to that in the show notes click that scroll down to sport newcastle united updates tick the box and you'll be signed up for free thanks so much for listening the chronic history of newcastle united with me matt ketchell and paul joan you <laughs>